Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 2, 14, uh, verses 32 through 42. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. This Jesus God raised up, and of all that, and of that all of us were witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know the certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when you heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for the children, and for all who are far away, every one whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from the corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Kay. And Kay Rose. Thank you for your support. Well, it's uh, difficult to imagine the scene of this text. I mean, it's hard for us to really wrap our heads around Peter stands up to give this dramatic speech, attempting to provide meaning and clarity to what everyone had just seen. The disciples had just been filled with the Holy Spirit in this dramatic moment, which we're going to celebrate in several weeks at Pentecost. So we're kind of getting the, the prequel here to that event. The disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit and they're acting in such bizarre ways that uh, people don't really know what to make of it. Some people we read in the text were amazed and perplexed. They were confused, but somehow in awe of what they were seeing. And some of the people who saw these disciples who were filled with the Holy Spirit made fun of them and said, well, they must be drunk. They're just acting like fools. So Peter, filled with himself filled with the Holy Spirit, meets this, this moment with incredible clarity and courage. He speaks with truth and conviction through this long speech which connects the events that Jerusalem had witnessed with the scriptures that give meaning to what they had seen, particularly through what had happened to Jesus. And the whole essence of the speech was making light of the gift of the Holy Spirit, a gift that God had made possible for all people through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
So Peter ends his speech with a line that was truthful and bold. I mean, think of how bold this must have been, okay? Do you have a hard time speaking truth when you know that the people who are going to hear it aren't going to like it? Do you struggle with that? Being assertive, saying the hard thing when you know that, well, for, for one thing, they're not going to appreciate it. They might even be mad at me. Well, this is that kind of moment for Peter times a thousand. He gives this long, dramatic speech, speech, and then at the end he says, so this is what it's all about. This is why I'm telling you all this. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Wow. That's bold. If there's any evidence of the empowering of the Holy Spirit within all of Scripture, this is that moment where Peter can stand up and speak this truth with such clarity. And when the crowd heard it, they were what? Cut to the heart. Like they heard this truth, and it was a truth that was so clear, so convincing, so convicting that it pierced through all of the doubts, all of the suspicions, all of the denial of the truth that they had had in their hearts. A truth so clear and so convicting, and they asked Peter and the rest of the disciples, what do we do? What should we do? Clearly, we've been, we were part of this. Clearly, something that we did or didn't do had a, had a role in what happened to Jesus, and they felt that conviction deep within their hearts, and they say, what should we do? So for Peter, in today's world, we would call this a mic drop moment. If he had a microphone, I don't use a microphone like that, but uh, if he had a microphone, he would take the mic and drop it. That's what we say in our culture when something like this happens. Moments of whatever is said is so clear, so undeniable, so, uh, so true that no one can argue. No one can say, yeah, but, no, there's nothing left to be said. Mic drop moments are these moments of inspiration where we say, maybe if we believe that truth already, like, yeah, that's what I believe. And all of a sudden, we're so pumped and so excited about it, and we say, yeah, I love that mic drop moment. That was awesome. Or we might get angry. That happens a lot today, too. And maybe that's part of the symbolic nature of the mic drop moment. It's kind of a, well, I'm sticking it to you with what I just said, and you can't say anything in response. But a lot of times when we hear that kind of truth that's so clear and so undeniable, we feel a sense of conviction. Like, wow, I had it wrong. I was thinking so clearly this way or that way, and I was living in this particular way, and I was so convinced that I was right, and now in this moment of clarity, I feel convicted. I feel like I need to do something, I need to change, because I received this new perspective, this new light on my circumstances. Have you ever had a moment like that? Maybe a big moment or a small one, where you said, I might have had it wrong. Maybe I haven't been living exactly the way that God wanted me to live. Have you ever had a moment like that? Maybe we as a church or as a group or as a community, we're, there's something we've been doing wrong here. Maybe there's a way that we can refine ourselves in this moment. So the people are convicted by what Peter said and asked them, what should we do? What should we do? Peter says simply, with great clarity again, repent and be baptized. And they did. 
In that day, in one day, the church grew from its origins of 120 people who received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, from 120 people, like if our sanctuary was full right now, it's going to happen, believe me. <laughs> 120 people to all of a sudden 3,000. And I was thinking about what's a reference point for that. I was thinking maybe uh, like when we have our town festival and on, on the day of the parade and you go downtown and there's just people everywhere. Now maybe that's about 3,000, maybe it's more. So if we were here in this room and all this, these are all the people who believe and then all of a sudden we go down there and like, wow, this is the church? I mean, that would blow us away. Can you imagine what that scene would be like to see all those people coming to the Lord and saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I want to repent and be baptized. Hearing the truth about Jesus, being inspired or convicted, these people wanted to respond. What should we do? So repent, he says, repent and be baptized. And it's so much deeper than just saying, I believe. These new believers, these people who are saying, yes, I'll repent and, and now I'll be baptized, were saying that I'm going to give my whole life to Jesus and his cause, his purpose for who I am, what he says about how I should live. They didn't just fit Christianity into their already busy lives. They gave their whole life to Jesus in that moment. That's what baptism has always been in the history of the church, not to say, well, I think I'm going to go once a month to the church. Sunday. Well, you know, I'll try that small group. You know, those are good things. But the reality of this text is to say this was giving your whole life to Jesus. Repentance and baptism involved the devotion of their lives and their hearts, and then a receiving of the Holy Spirit so that they would be empowered and directed by God's Spirit. I realize that this is where I'll probably lose you. Yeah, maybe I lost you already when you heard be baptized. And you're like, yeah, that's someone else, Pastor Chad, preaching to the choir here. I was baptized. I was just a little wee baby. Okay, well, it's, it's true. Uh, but this text isn't, for, isn't just for people who don't believe. Uh, baptism and confirmation, yes, but uh, repentance is an awareness that God has given us in our heart of our sin. Of our sin and our limitations. The way that we get it wrong in life. And so let's just look back to what we declare at our confirmation. Because the way it works in our denomination, not all of you grew up as United Methodists, but when you're, when you're baptized, the parents say, we're going to raise this child to become disciples of Jesus Christ. So instead of being immersed in the pool or in the river, you know, we're saying we're going we're gonna to dedicate this child, and we as the parents are going to raise this child to love Jesus and serve Jesus in all of their life. That's the declaration that's made at baptism. And so then if you're confirmed, which I assume most of you are confirmed, you're then owning it for yourself. And in essence, this is what you're saying. This is the question we say. We ask you when you're confirmed. Do you promise, according to the grace given to you, to keep God's holy will and commandments and walk in the same all the days of your life as faithful members of Christ's holy church. Let me read it again. And just, just be honest with yourself. You don't have to say it out loud. 
I'm not going to ask anybody, you know, how are you doing here? Unless you want me to, Kyle. You know, <laughs> again, we can have that kind of uh, interaction. Do you promise, according to the grace given to you, to keep God's holy will and commandments and walk in the same all the days of your life as faithful members of Christ's holy church? How are you doing with that? I mean, that's a big ask, isn't it? And I mean, it, the implication here is not just a one-time moment, either at your baptism, even as adult, bapti adult baptism or confirmation. The implication when we ask something like this is like on a daily basis. So how do you do on a daily basis to keep God's holy will and commandments? Boy, I fail on that part, right? I mean, I'm, I'm talking every day. I'm, I'm talking, you know, three or four times a day. I realize that this is not how I'm living. There are several moments. Maybe those uh, moments of truth, moments of conviction, moments of clarity, that awareness that God has given us that, yes, we sin, we fall short, we get it wrong. See, awareness that I get that I often get it wrong, that I don't see the whole picture, that I struggle to give my heart to God. So in these moments of conviction, we can make a choice. We can repent, like Peter is suggesting, or we can choose to deny the thing. These are common things that we do when we feel that kind of conviction, or we realize our limitations, or we realize that maybe we don't see the whole picture. We can choose to deny them. We can ignore them. We can numb those feelings. We can try to outwork them. This is a common one, guys. <laughs> we can just outwork those feelings. Like, I'm just going to keep going. I'm not even going to pay attention to it. I don't need to. I'm, I'm working hard here. We can try and outrun those feelings. Or we can try and blame somebody else for those feelings. Well, if Jeremiah... Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah was, was doing more, you know, putting me in this position. You know, if Jerry, if he would just if he would just step it up a little bit, then I wouldn't feel the way that I feel right now. See, that's a response of self-justification. Or, I know many of us struggle with this. We do a kind of self-condemnation. Well, I'm not faithful enough. I don't do enough. I'm not working hard enough. I'm not giving myself to Jesus in the way that I should, which then becomes the last one of self-determination. And the problem with any of these responses, whether we choose to deny that moment of conviction, or we blame somebody else, or we try to outrun or outwork or whatever, the problem with any of these is that they don't actually help the source of the problem which is the shame that we feel when we feel convicted, or the guilt that we feel, or the fear that we feel. None of those responses, none of those help us to deal with that condition of the heart. And when those things are in our heart, we do not have room for grace. When those feelings are in our heart with shame and guilt and fear, and I don't do enough, and I'm not enough, or somebody else is the problem, when those things are in our heart, we don't have room for grace. We don't have room to take comfort in the, whole, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
Because all that stuff is clouding our vision. So this is the gift that Jesus gives to us. He says, repent. Just repent and receive the forgiveness. Just say, I'm sorry, God. You don't have to say it to me. I'm not going to ask you out in the line afterwards. No one will come to the line. <laughs> you know, tell me your sins. I'm not a Catholic priest. Just say this to God. I'm sorry, God. I had it wrong. And now I'm going to give my heart to you and I trust that you will forgive me. I'm going to trust that life is better with you leading my steps. This is the gift that God has given us, repentance. And through repentance, we allow Jesus to take our guilt from us. Through repentance, we allow Jesus to take our shame from us. To take our fears and to say, you don't have to live that way, rather than try to deal with all that on our own. Repent and be baptized is for us, friends. Because rather than saying, repent and be baptized, we say, repent and choose to believe. Believe in God's mercy and forgiveness. Believe in God's kindness towards us. That when we turn to him and say, I'm sorry, God, that he's not going to yell at us like maybe people in our lives would do if we own up to our mistakes and they say, well, yeah, you really, you really messed up on that one. You really hurt me. Yeah, and, and I'm not happy about it. Sometimes that's what we experience in life, and then it keeps us from wanting to own our mistakes before God. Friends, God is not like that. God is rich in mercy and steadfast love. God is continually wanting to forgive us. When we turn to him and just say, I'm sorry, I've gotten it wrong. So Jesus says is there's, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who say, nah, I don't need it. It's because Jesus knows that we carry the weight of our guilt and shame. And that's not how he wants us to live. That's not why he went to the cross. It's not it. But we can, we can choose to believe in God's mercy, forgiveness, God's kindness to us, towards us, and adopt this posture of repentance and belief. As a lifestyle, not just a one-time thing. I've been reading this book called The Liturgy of the Ordinary. It's kind of cute. It's got a picture of peanut butter and jelly toast on it. It's all about finding God in the ordinary moments of life. It's a brilliant <coughs> book, I suggest you. But I like what she says. I wrote it down here to summarize. I like what Tish Harrison Warren, the author, says about repentance and how this is a lifestyle. She says, repentance and faith are constant daily rhythms of a Christian life. And just let me stop for a second. This is not like, she's not like a theologian, you know, who's like in her 90s and saying everybody else should figure it out. She's my age and talks about the, the frustrating moments of like losing your keys and, you know, like feeling like you're going to lose it in the home. You're raising kids, you know. That's the voice that's, that's speaking here. She says, repentance and faith are, con are the constant daily rhythms of the Christian life. Our breathing out and breathing in. In these moments of conviction, I need to develop the habit of admitting the truth of who I am. And to form the habit of, of also letting God love me. Trusting in his mercy. 
and receiving again his forgiveness. Friends, repentance and belief is the way that God has made for us to make room in our hearts for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And here's the trouble is that if we only repent, if we just say, I messed up. I'm not good enough. That definitely invites more shame, more perfectionism, more judgment of ourselves or others. But we need to repent in ways that we've gotten it wrong so that we can make room for the grace of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. That's the whole essence of this speech. That's the whole reason that Peter says, repent and be baptized, so that you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's generosity. There's love for yourself and for your neighbor. There's courage to face the hard things that we face right now. There's compassion for yourself and for others. That's, that's what we receive when we get the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have to make room in our hearts for that to happen. Repentance is how we make room. I think about it in terms of like our calendar, right? Is we're constantly bombarded with all the different things that we could do. And it's, all, it's almost overwhelming. Well, I want to go visit this person, and I want to take the family and go do this thing, and I want to serve at the church, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. Well, in order to fit in something that's really good, that comes to your, that is presented to you, in order to fit that in, you're going to have to go in there and hit delete on some things. You're going to have to go in there and cross some things out and say, what matters most? And what Peter is saying is, is that through repentance and baptism, or through repentance and belief, you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just for you, by the way. It's for your grandchildren. It's for your kids. It's for everybody that you know in your life. Because if they see that you have a posture of repentance and believing in your life, if they see you doing it, not just your pastor that you like talking about it every week, if they see you doing it, then they're more likely to adopt that posture for themselves. But if they don't see you doing it, if they never hear you talking about it, you know, I'm so grateful for God's mercy and forgiveness because every time that I repent, He forgives me. And then I just receive that renewal that comes. If, if nobody ever hears you talking like that, or living in that way, it's just more words, it's just more opinion. It's just one more choice among thousands, millions out there on the internet that people can follow and like and subscribe to. This gospel that we believe in, this, this is the good news that brings freedom. This is the good news that brings healing and hope and transformation to our daily lives. And it starts with a moment of conviction, a moment of clarity, some new picture of who God is or, or who we are, our limitations, our failures. And we just turn to God and say, okay, I'm sorry. Help me to believe in Jesus. Help you to see what I don't see. So I'll, I'll give you a recent example of how it's happened. Because it doesn't just happen through like reading the Bible, these moments of conviction. You know, I don't see people standing around giving dramatic speeches, right, about Jesus and what it all means for the world. 
But I struggle with doubt. I struggle with wondering, well, why is it so hard to get momentum in, say, small groups? Or why is it so difficult for people to, to get excited about the good news of Jesus? You know, and I wonder, God, is all this stuff that I pour out in my life and all the self-growth that I do and, you know, the hard things that I face in my life, is it worth it? That's what I carry around with me a lot of days. And on a particular day, I've had to stand at the rec center and I have just a total surprise conversation. And someone comes to me and says, when you said this and when you said that, and, you know, and, and this is what I went through in my life. And, you know, do you think we could talk sometime and flesh it all out? And in just one moment, you know, just a half an hour conversation with someone. And by the way, I'm going to do a workout. Not expecting that at all. In one moment, I can see, wow, I have limited how God works to just this narrow little path of my effort and my understanding. And just in a moment, my vision of how God works has expanded dramatically. And I, I walked out of the rec center with tears in my eyes, which does not happen very often, and I said, okay, God, all right, I'll believe, I'll believe. I don't understand I don't get it all the time. I can't, you know, give a theological argument like some pastors can. And here's all the bullet points, but I believe. And I'm going to turn back to you, Jesus, and just think on this posture of surrender and admitting my limitations, admitting the things that sometimes I get wrong. So we have to make space in our lives for this gift of the Holy Spirit that comes. And that's the moment that I was describing, just this realization that the Holy Spirit is the Lord. First, we have to make, might have to make space in our calendar and then in our minds. And so right now, we're going to do something together. I'm going to call on you, each starting with Miranda. Just kidding, Miranda. <laughs> just kidding, everyone. I'm not calling on anybody. Don't worry. But we're going to do this, and Andy, I didn't tell you about this, but we have some slides to go with it. We're going to do something that's called the Prayer of Exam. You can do this every day, because the first thing we have to do is to start like, actually wanting to look for God in our life. To say, how is God working? Is God working at all? And this is a framework that we can take uh, into our life and practice every single day, or as often as you would like. So this is called the Prayer of Examine by a guy named uh, St. Ignatius, who came up with it. So you start this time by saying, what are you grateful for right now? If you do this at the end of the day, I would say, what are you grateful for today? When I do this exercise, I actually write them out. Here are the three to five specific things that I'm grateful for, specific to that day. So this morning when I, I did this in the morning, I said, I'm grateful for the ways that Kate and I have been connecting lately. It's been a new way. She ages and I mature as a father, you know, like very specific. I'm grateful for that. What else? What else are you grateful for? Be specific. Then ask God for the clarity from the Holy Spirit to see the truth of these two questions. We have to ask God to help us see, because it's difficult for us to see. So let's go to the next one. Maybe. When did you feel close to God today? When did you feel close? 
Now, for some of you, it starts right away, like, oh, I don't have to pay for this. What's going on? I don't like this. <laughs> Making me feel guilty. Hey, pay attention to that. When did I feel distant from God? So the first question can help us to understand, like, you know, are we are we trying to find God throughout our day at all? And we can ask God, God, Lord, help me see, right? So we don't have to feel guilty. We can just be curious about why is that? Why is that so? Maybe I should talk to my pastor about that and say, well, I don't ever feel close to God. Oh, I'd love to have that conversation. <laughs> I'd love to have that conversation. And when did I feel distant from God today? I'll tell you right now. The easiest one to answer is the second one because it's always the moments of failure throughout my day. <laughs> when I was short-tempered. Did not feel close to God, just saying. <laughs> or I'll catch myself and say, you know, when I was talking about somebody else and what they ought to be doing rather than looking at myself, didn't feel close to God. I mean, scriptures are pretty clear about that kind of thing. Or, you know, when I'm just uh, taking on self-indulgence rather than thinking about how who can I reach out to or, you know, whatever. But oftentimes that's the easiest one in terms of repentance because we can't really know when we fall short, right? Well, let's go to the next one, Andy. The third step of this is repent of the ways that you have wrong. Repent of your sin. Repent of your self-determination and wanting to pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. I mean, that's why people who don't believe in Jesus want to live that way, but that, that's not what we claim here, right? We claim to be people who live by God's grace and by God's direction in life. So repent of those things. Just say, sorry, God. And then ask God for forgiveness and grace just to do a little bit better tomorrow. You see that that part is especially helpful because we don't need to say we need, now all of a sudden need to be super saints and know all the answers and just believe without any doubts, but just say, can I just do a little bit better tomorrow, God? Can you just give me enough grace to do a little bit better? And then we don't have to leave this experience feeling shame. We're saying, well, like, I'll never get it. Because I know that when we feel that way, like, I'll never get it, I, you know, I, it's just too hard, then we just give up. And we're not looking for God at all in our life. We just say, it's too much. I can't do it. I don't have enough time. <laughs> and then the next one. Just a simple prayer, a declaration of trust and belief. Repent and believe. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. Help me to see what I don't see. Help me to make space in my heart to receive the gift of your Holy Spirit. As simple as that. That's the end of my sermon. I don't have any. I wanted to end on that exercise. <laughs> hopefully, it's um, hopefully that's a tool that you can use. If you look it up when you go home today, look it up. It's called the Prayer of Examine. If you want to look, but it's just simply, what am I grateful for? 